Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. For more information about our church and service times, please visit revival.me. Enjoy the message. Well, I'm excited. I heard last week was incredible. Bonnie brought an awesome word. Come on. And then the week before, my wife brought an awesome word. I mean, we're just so blessed, right? And you're so blessed because now I get to preach. Amen. I've had two weeks off, so who knows what's going to happen. Um, so I, uh, I want to read from Matthew chapter 11. So let's start there. And the Lord was just speaking to me about some things, and I've been processing and going to dive right into it. So we're going to read verses 1 through 6 in the New King James. Thank you for this coffee, Rochelle. Oh, that's hot. Praise God. It's better than lukewarm. I would have spewed it out of my mouth. <laughs> Praise God. It's got to be hot or it's got to be cold, right? The lukewarm? Nah. Thank you, Father. Iced coffee is good for the summer, though. All right, here we go. Matthew chapter 11. You all ready? Yes. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. Now, it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. And when John had heard it in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples, and they said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And then he said, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I just pray for a real good time this morning, just like we've been having in Jesus' name. So I want to talk to you about three things, and I want to read a couple other scriptures here. I want to talk to you about a, a new paradigm a new way of grace, a new wineskin that is forming in the earth. Um, it's interesting to me, this, this whole thing that happened here with uh, John the Baptist, you know, when you're, when you're confined, you're locked up, and you feel like you are no longer living out your purpose, you can quickly forget who Jesus is and who he says you are. And I feel like, in a, in a sense, the church has been confined and locked up and it's resulted in us forgetting who God says he is and what he said he's going to do. And now ultimately forgetting who we are and what we carry today in this day. Which we live in the greatest hour that the church has ever lived in. I, I want you to understand that. Like I, I love the early church. I love church history actually. So there's lots of wonderful things about church history. There's really powerful church fathers. There's revivals. How many love past revivals? Come on, you'd study the Azusa Street Revival, the Second Great Awakening, you know, I mean, with Finney, and there's wonderful things, but how many know we don't, we don't worship those as monuments, no, they're building, there's, there's stepping stones to get us to where God is carrying us, and His kingdom is advancing in the earth, but how many know we, we live in one of the greatest times that the church has ever existed? Do you believe that? And so there's a new way of grace. And the first thing, that's what I want to talk about. I, I feel like in, in my Christian life and in my life, and I see it in my kids, I think it's just like a thing that we're born with. We want, 
we want to be able to do everything now, like here and now. And, and, and a part of us, we should be doing something now. Like there should be some fruit coming forth. We should have some confidence. But how many know kind of like, you know, you, you, you read a couple stories and it's like, all right, well, I'm going to go raise the dead. And, and you go out and it doesn't work, you know. It's like, all right, I don't know what happened, but let me try again, you know. And after a while, you can get discouraged. Like my youngest daughter, she's the youngest of five. Um, she wants to do everything that everyone else does. Like Sarah's 21. She's about to turn 22. She drives and she doesn't live in our, our home anymore. Layla wants to drive and rent her own apartment. I mean, it's like, of course, I'm being facetious, but really, she wants, she's trying to grow up too fast. But there's something about a way, a paradigm of grace where we don't compare ourselves to our siblings and to other people. We don't lose our zeal and our tenacity. We learn and we grow in grace. And we don't get offended when we feel like we're locked up and confined and everyone else is doing the stuff. And there's a new way of grace uh, there's something forming, a mature people forming in the body of Christ. There's a new wineskin. How many know it, it has to be formed this way? Like God is looking for a mature bride that can carry his love to a broken world. And I want to say this, like in, in the wanting to grow up fast, that zeal is from God. But just understand we can't rush the process of maturity. We have to embrace what the Lord is doing, and we have to thank God that even when we fall, we can get back up again. When I say fall, I'm not talking about like falling into sin, but I'm talking about, all right, we didn't do it right, or we didn't do it the best we could, whatever that is. And I'm, I'm not just talking about ministry stuff. I'm talking about life. I'm talking about parenting. I'm talking about relationship. Hello? I'm talking about at work. Like we got to get back up and not lose our tenacity or our zeal in the process of growth. There's a wineskin that God is forming. He's looking for mature and authentic people. And it has to be that way. I was thinking about this the other day, and I want to touch on this. In this new way of grace... There are things that sometimes we don't identify as God's grace, but it's actually God's grace. And I'm not talking about God exhaustively controlling things, so everything is from God. How many know that everything is not from God? How many know that God works all things for our good? He doesn't initiate all things. Huge difference. Matter of fact, Romans 8, that's not a catch-all for divine providence. Romans 8 is about the culmination of redemption. That even creation is still fallen. There's even natural laws and spiritual laws. Well, God allows it for a reason. No, he allowed uh, like things to happen. He allowed the risk of things to happen in his created order. But not everything that happens is from God. Some things are the result of a fallen world. But I want to say this. Having said that, there are some things we think, well, this is from the pit of hell. And it's actually God exposing something to mature us. Why are there so many divisions in the body of Christ? You know, it's interesting you would say that because I have a scripture I wanted to read. 1 Corinthians, I know you didn't really say it, but I mean, we say it all the time. There's so many denominations and blah, blah, blah. You know, I remember one time somebody was talking about, I think it was Rick Joyner, talking about how God is going to use every denomination to reach every facet of people in the world. 
Like we're always thinking, oh, it's from the pit of hell. It's like God is going to use it beyond what you could think, hope, or imagine according to the power that works in us. And so there's a power of grace, a new way of grace, a new paradigm. We've got to see that God is at work even when we think it's pressure or it's offenses and division and all this stuff. God is actually doing something. There's a scripture in 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen. For there must, this is Paul talking to a church. Let's just say he's talking to the body of Christ because the body of Christ can kind of be a little wild, right? Like there's divisions and there's things. Or maybe he's talking about our community because there's no perfect family or perfect community. But how many know church, the church of Corinth had some issues? There were some mavericky people, even for centuries later, uh, which I'll talk about in a moment. But 1 Corinthians 11, there must be factions among you. There must be divisions among you. Why would Paul say that? We all, it got quiet because we never read this verse. Because we don't realize that when there seems to be division that God is sovereignly causing things to be exposed and come to surface. Why? Paul says that those who are approved may be recognized among you. You see, there's things that are in us that God wants to bring to the surface so we can actually grow and mature and bear fruit and do what he's called us to do. It's called a new way of grace. You know, some, someone or something what someone does or says or something that happens really gets to me and causes some sort of offense to spring up into my heart, it's usually because I have believed a lie that's connected to that thing. So if I'm upset because someone said something to me, I have to stop and say, wait, that bothers me. Have I believed a lie related to what they said? What does God say about it? So sometimes we don't realize God is sifting. He is bringing things. And this is what I believe God's doing in the body of Christ. Oh, man, there's so much division in the body of Christ. God is approving those that are among us because there's a mature bride rising up in the midst. He says, there has to be factions. I will keep going. Come on, somebody. There has to be factions among you. That, isn't that an interesting concept? Like, I've learned that when there's an authority, when there is a revival, when the Spirit of God breathes, sometimes it gets messy, not because it's the result of the life of God, but it's the result of things being exposed, and some folks just want to hold on to their junk. But I don't want to hold on to my junk. I want to say, God, if I believed a lie, I'm not going to be offended. Blessed are those who are not offended of me. Because when you live a life like John the Baptist, but this is obviously a different context, his ministry was ending and he was the one to usher in the Messiah, right? That was literally, he proclaimed that. He preached that from Isaiah. I am a voice crying out in the wilderness. He said it when he baptized. He said, behold the Lamb of God. He knew who Jesus was, but now he's in jail and he feels like he has no purpose. And he's thinking, did I miss it? Maybe he's not the one. And Jesus said, blessed is he who's not offended at me. He says, nope. The lame are walking. Come on. The blind see. The deaf, are being, the deaf ears are being opened. The dead are being raised. There's something about 
understanding what God is doing in the midst of all the chaos and what seems to be void and seems to be divisions, but like, wait a minute, God, what are you doing right now? Maybe he's approving those that are among us. Can you say amen? amen. I want to talk about this wineskin in a moment, but I want to, I want to, it's interesting, by the way, in the church of Corinth, I love this, and this is a beautiful picture. It's different than really what I'm preaching, but it'll work. Uh, in the church of Corinth, later on, there, is, there are writings from the first and second century um, you can actually buy this on Amazon. Uh, I think it's called uh, The Church Fathers. And it's writings that the early church, they weren't considered like Gnostic things or heretical. They were considered honorable, but they were not canonized in the New Testament letters, the 27 books. But there are writings, two different churches, First Clement and Polycarp, and there's all these different writings. One of them was to the church of Corinth. And the church bishop, the, the, the apostolic father, was writing to these kids, these church folks that were just still, there's still divisions and there's mavericks and there's no real leaders that have risen up to really parent and grow the church. And here's what he says in this one part. He says, you know, it's just like in God's created order, the way the spring will bow uh, to the summer or the winter will bow to the spring and I know it's a little different up here in Rochester, but let's just pretend there is actually spring, summer, fall, and winter. Yeah, okay, blah, blah, blah. Every time I hear that, let's change our spiritual climate and our natural climate. Early spring in Jesus' name. Dry weather, not too dry, not too dry. I don't want to have to water my lawn. I've got way too much lawn here, man. In Vegas, it was totally different. But he says, learn to not acquiesce, I forget the word he uses, but it's like the same harmony that you see in the seasons is the same harmony you should see in the body of Christ. The same way the summer bows to the fall and the fall begins and then the fall bows to the winter and then the winter bows to the spring. There's this flow. There's a divine order in the body of Christ. And it might seem like a crazy winter, but guess what? Springtime's coming. And it might look divisive, but God is approving those that are among us. There's a mature body rising up. Now, I love this. We're going to talk about a wineskin. Do you know that how many here you want some new wine? Come on, the wine of God, the wine of his love the wine of this new way of grace, this new paradigm. You know that there are three basic ingredients in wine. Number one is yeast. You can't see it, but it causes things to happen. I see that as the Father. The unseen Father, the immortal God that has intrinsically woven gifts into his creation. But how many know the yeast causes things to happen? The other thing is a fruit base fermentable sugar, like a grape, okay? So the other is you need a crushed grape. That's Jesus, the one who is bruised for our iniquities. And the other ingredient you need, these are three basic ingredients, is water. That's the Holy Spirit. So the wine that the Trinity is giving us is some sweet, good wine, but he's looking for a new wineskin to put it into. The other two things, if you count this, is time and warmth. I see that as the process and the grace of God. Amen. So that makes a total of five. 
Five is the number of grace. Don't rush the process because there's a new way of grace. And even when you feel locked up and confined and you feel like you don't have purpose, don't be offended. God's doing things. God's doing things. And he's about ready to raise up a glorious and mature bride. And he is doing it. Amen. Number two, and I'm going to read a couple chapters earlier. And this point is revival is now. Revival is now. Can you say it out loud with me? Say revival is now. I asked you to say it out loud just so I could drink my coffee, to be honest with you. So can you say it one more time? Because this coffee is good. Revival is now. Actually, it, I wanted you to say it too. Just kidding. I want to, let's talk about this wineskin, okay? Because th- this revival is now. I want to read Matthew 9, 14 through 17. You all ready? Then the disciples of John came to him. Why do we and the Pharisees fast all the time? I'm going to use that voice because I like it. But your disciples do not fast. And can you imagine like John the Baptist lived this lifestyle set apart, didn't drink wine, ate locusts and honey, bleh, you know, and, and Jesus is hanging out with sinners. Jesus is feasting with sinners, sitting at the table. Oh, Zacchaeus, yeah, you're the guy who robs. I'm going to go to your house. We're going to eat at your house today. And, and there's this flavor that comes forth from John the Baptist's disciples. It's like, well, I don't, we don't get it. How, how come you're doing all the stuff, but you're not fasting and praying like we are? Well, maybe because if I could relate that to today, I'll just say this before I keep reading. I think sometimes we fast in our religiosity and we don't see results instead of feasting in our relationship and letting fruit come out of intimacy. And then we we wonder why something doesn't happen. And God's like, it's because you think it's about you. Because then you're you're not going to give me credit. You're going to give your fasting credit. You're going to pat yourself on your religious behind. So... Anyways, that's just a little nugget. It had nothing to do with this. Maybe it did. I don't know. And Jesus said, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. How many know Jesus died and he was buried, right? And, and this is what the Lord's talking about. He says, the days will come and the bridegroom will be taken away and they will fast. And then he says this, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth into an old garment for the patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins or else the wineskins break, the wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. Now part of this is the new covenant that he's establishing, but it's also a principle that God, when he does something new, he, he builds a wineskin, a people, to contain the thing that God is doing. And I just want to tell you right now, when, when that spirit of religiosity is like, well, how come you know, we're not seeing results like this, this church or that church or these people? It's like because they believe that they are revival. Amen. See, Jesus is telling them, is like, we don't look for revival by praying and fasting. We become revival. I love William Booth, man. He said, I am a move of God. Smith Wigglesworth, if God's not moving, I'll move him. The point is, is that God is looking for hearts 
that are open to the moving of the Spirit. And when he finds hearts that are open to the moving of the Spirit, the Spirit moves through those people. Revival is not in our future. Revival is not just in our past. Revival is here and now. Revival is not something I strive for. Revival is not something that if I fast long enough, I will attain. No, revival can be here now. If you believe it, come on, if you receive what God says, He is the promise keeper. Come on, He is the way maker. He lives inside of you and He wants out and through you. God wants to bring revival way more than our intercessory groups are crying out for it. Well, then if we just got his heart, you know how easy it is to see revival? Just love with his love. God, give me eyes to see humanity. When I'm praying for situations that are going on in the world like Ukraine, when I'm praying for cities that have promises of revival, God, give me eyes to see Rochester. Give me eyes to see the broken. Give me eyes to see and watch what God will do that his love just begins to flow through you. You want to prophesy? You want to lay hands on the sick? You want to see the dead raised? Let his love flow through you. Just love love with his love and revival comes. Revival is now. I want to say this. The heavens are open. The heavens are open. I had this dream last night. I, was, I, I uh, used to lead worship for Pastor Randall Cunningham. Randall Cunningham is a former quarterback of the Eagles. Any Eagles fans in the house? It's okay if you're not. Bills fans in the house? Okay. Any Broncos fans in the house? My son is back there. You're not saying anything. I don't care if you're on camera. Are you a Bronco fan or not, David? So, he was, he was a uh, quarterback for the, the Eagles, and uh, he ended up being a part of ministry in the NFL with Reggie White. Powerful stuff was going on. A bunch of football players are getting saved. They had these Bible studies, these gatherings. So he decides to open up a studio in Las Vegas. He lived there with his wife from South Africa, uh, had a beautiful family. And, and we, I met him. I'd led worship at some event, and he said, hey, I want to talk to you about putting you on one of my CDs. And so I connected with him. It was just the favor of God. It was such a blessing. I ended up leading worship for, he had this Bible study on Thursday nights. It was over a hundred people in his studio. um, And God was just moving. Then he felt like God wanted him to plant a church. So he planted a church. The church is exploding. Well, we were a part of that church plant. And so I was his worship pastor, worship leader. Um, you know, I was one of the first guys that got to preach. And it was such an honor. And it was a very multi-ethnic church. But I got to sing with his group. And uh, he had a gospel group that went around. And, and we did evangelism stuff. We go to Corpus Christi. And, and they, they basically had like, uh, they promoted it. And it was the, the cover of Sports Illustrated where he's on his knees pointing to heaven after like winning the game. And it says, born again on the top. And we had hundreds and hundreds of people that would come to this and we would sing and we would worship. And then Randall would come up and give an altar call. And the spirit of evangelism was just all over it. Hundreds would just flood to the altar. It was incredible. So I had uh, the honor of um, doing that. Well, I've had dreams and I recently had a dream where, uh, and the Lord reminded me of something. I don't think it was necessarily related to Randall, but I was hanging out with them. I was in Vegas and he's like, Hey, you know, we're doing worship. I want to do that song that we were talking about worship songs. And, 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 and the Lord spoke to me and he said, I want you to lead this song in his church because I'm going to crack the heavens open over this body of people. 
And the Lord reminded me, because I believe the heavens are open, when I sing, when I pray, when I prophesy, the heavens crack open. And you've got the same grace on your life. When you know that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world, there is no cloud over you. There's no overcast. Come on. The heavens are broken open. If every worship leader would get this, come on, every altar minister would get this, every mom and dad would get this when they're praying for their family. When you pray, the heavens are open. And revival is now. It's not just in our past. It's not in our future. It's right now. Can you say amen? The other thing that I want to touch on before I go to the last point, and I did start at 10.10, so give me a little grace. Come on, it's a new way of grace. Give me about 10 more minutes. I've learned that revival is family. Not only does that mean that when God is moving, there is hearts turning toward one another, healthy relationships. Not only does that mean that healthy ministry flows out of healthy marriage and family. This is, you know, something that I I believe dearly, is that if I'm doing well ministering, if I'm ministering as a pastor and a leader, I should be doing even better. I almost said weller. I should be even doing better as a husband and as a father. I believe revival's family for, for that reason, but also because of life, souls, reproduction. So if revival is like having kids and making disciples, what's the most important part of that? I'll tell you what the most important part of that is. I've always preached this and I've thought, you know, it's discipleship, having kids. Yeah, yeah, but what's the most important part of that? If you don't, you can't have healthy parenting if you don't have a healthy marriage. The important part of revival is the marriage. The oneness we have with God, but also the unity that we have in, in community. But here's the three things that I believe when we say revival is now, we should be committed, we should understand it's covenantal, and we should understand it's continuous. God does not want to just bring revival for a few years. He wants us to pass it down to the next generation. Revival is family. And the important part of that is the marriage, which takes commitment, which is a holy covenant, and which is continuous. Can you say amen? Amen. The wineskin is a structure in which God's love and blessings can be enjoyed. Wineskins, interesting enough, the wineskins that were used to contain wine weren't the most popular instruments to contain wine. There was actually bigger jar, there were smaller jars and then bigger like vats. But the wineskins, check this out, that was something that you carried with you because you got wine with you all the time because you are revival. The wineskin isn't just something you receive when you go to church. No, you've got it with you in your belly. Come on, somebody. And the fatness destroys the yoke. All right. I'm, t- I'm prophesying to myself. Anytime I grow right here, I just, oh, my anointing's growing. No, I'm kidding. That's not a good way to think. I want to just touch on this real quick before I go to the last thing. In Matthew 11, right after Jesus says this, John the Baptist is confined, locked up, and possibly offended that he's not a part of all the stuff. Feels like he's not doing his purpose. Jesus is out there ministering and doing his thing, Right? 
He forgot who Jesus was. Are you the one or is there someone else coming? And then what does Jesus do right after this? I love this. Jesus basically starts bragging on John the Baptist and declares the word, the scripture, the word of God in Isaiah that he's the one. He says there's no greater one than John the Baptist. You know what God does when he, when people are talking about you, you forget who he is and you forget who you are. God just starts bragging on you and reminding you of the words and the promises that are over your life. I love that. Jesus just starts bragging on John. You know what? I love somebody and I see how I just brag on him. I tell sometimes I'll I've texted some of you. I'm bragging on you right now. How'd you know? Were your ears burning? I wasn't talking bad about you. I was bragging on how awesome you are. And you don't even know how awesome you are. And you're so stinking anointed. You can't even help it. You're so anointed. You can't even help it. Come on, somebody. Wayne, you're so anointed. You can't do nothing about it. You need to start Hearing what Jesus says about you, there's none greater than John the Baptist. Oh, man. Sometimes I'm sitting in my office praying, and he look, the Lord speaks to me. He says, you know, I'm looking at you right now, and you're like, David, I favor you. You're a worshiper. You love my presence. That's why there's favor on your life. That's why you're blessed. That's why my presence manifests when you pray. And I'm just like, God, but why? And I just, I, it's like the Lord just kisses me right where I'm at. And God wants to do the same thing with you because revival is now. Amen. The last point, we were made to feast. Doesn't mean there's no place for fasting. I'm not going to get into that. Fasting can prepare and it, it can, fasting can position and posture our hearts. But fasting doesn't give us more authority or somehow gain us more favor. It's not a religious work. You get that? But it does have its place in the New Testament church. Amen. But we were made to feast. I want to talk about being hungry as I close. I feel like sometimes in our Christian walk, we, um, we lose our hunger. We lose our tenacity. We lose our zeal for what God has. We get weary while doing good. Some of this was coming forth during transition. God's going to do what he said he's going to do. And sometimes we don't get hungry. And, and I want to read this scripture out of Isaiah. I believe it's a prophetic promise for today. And I was reading this and I thought about what's going on in the world, in our country, uh, and, and all around us. So listen to this. So good. Isaiah 25, 6 or 8 in the New International Version. On this mountain of the Lord Almighty, he will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. A banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. You know, receiving this freedom, receiving this feast, this wine, what God's doing, this move of God, God it's not hard. It's a gift. You know, freedom's a gift. You don't earn it. I just, I just got to get free from this, break this cycle. I got to break this cycle. Then stop and receive the gifts of freedom. 
striving is not, or surrendering is not this thing we just strive to accomplish. Surrender is not an act. Surrender is not something you do to deserve freedom. Surrender is receiving the freedom. Surrender is not a work, it's ceasing work. God wants you to surrender today. So you can sit down and you can feast on the provision that he has for you and I. Surrender is not a work, it's not an act, it's a ceasing of a work or action. But pastor, you don't understand the struggle. I probably don't. You don't understand my struggle, but I know someone who understands both of our struggles. God knows my struggles. He knows when our minds are infiltrated with doubt. He knows when we're carrying a burden of discouragement. He knows, and he can lift it right now if we just believe that it's not our portion. His presence is our portion. On the last, one of the last nights we had on our vacation, um, one of the managers of one of the restaurants came to me, and uh, a very sweet man, and, and he says, Pastor, he has this Mexican accent, beautiful Latino man. He's just awesome, precious guy. And he says, we want to do something special for your whole family. And, uh, and so they put on a dinner for us, and they roped this section off. We went out. People thought it was a wedding. Actually, this family was like, oh, it's a wedding. And I'm thinking, I'm like, that's because they see the glory of God all over it. It's a, it's a little manifestation of the marriage supper of the Lamb because it was God's favor and provision. So we all sit down all together, and this isn't normal, right? Because it's just God's blessing. And we sit down, and it's like, this has got to be a joke. They start bringing out the most amazing food. And we're sitting there, and I could just brag on the food. I won't because it'll distract me because I'm a little hungry right now. But it was... I mean, lobster, steak, seafood. I mean, just on and on. Why why are you saying this, Pastor? Because this is a picture of God's favor that he has set a feast before you. And getting hungry and being hungry for him is not, oh, I'm starving and there's no food around. I'm so desperate for you. No, no, no. It's looking at the table with eyes that can be opened and seeing the feast that he set before you. And you might not have an appetite now, but when you see that food, you're gonna get hungry. And my prayer is is that we would see that there's a feast and that we would get hungry because God wants to give us provision. There's a table, the table's not empty. Say it with me, the table is not empty. The table is full. I can see it, man. When you see it, you get hungry. The table is set and it's full of heaven's provision. Come on, there's a salad that's got some peace that passes all understanding. There's an appetizer of joy unspeakable and full of glory. There's a main course of a juicy steak, even if you're vegetarian, and it's the love of God the Father. There's a big loaf of holy bread with butter on it called the presence of the Lord. There is a table set for us, and all we have to do is sit down and feast. Just receive what he has, freedom and abundance over your life. We were made to feast. Would you say it with me? We're made to feast. When you're in love, here's what you say. Life is not the same without you. 
I say that to my wife and my kids. Life is not the same. I got to see my mom. I don't see her that often. I saw her on vacation. My dad, life is not the same without you. When you're in love, when we're in love with God, and it goes even to another level when we meet and encounter Jesus, we say there is no life without you. And that's what hunger is. It's saying there's no life. You are the sustainer of all things. Every breath that I breathe, just say it out loud with me. Say, there is no life without you, Jesus. I pray that he would create a hunger in your heart and you would see the table that's set before you. You would see that we were made for this love. Come on, we were made to drink this wine. Like David said, my cup overflows. He was saying, I'm constantly intoxicated by the wine of your love. Father, we thank you that we were made for the kisses of your mouth. We receive your love, your embrace. I thank you that revival is now. You're forming a new paradigm, a new wineskin. And we can feast and we can be what the world needs in this hour and in this time. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Lift your hands with me. And I just want to pray a blessing over everyone here. Father, thank you. If you're hungry, if you want more, if you want to feast, if you're not satisfied, then you need to drink the water that he gives. And I just want to pray, if there's anyone here that needs prayer, maybe you want to receive Jesus or recommit your life to him. Can I have, I want to ask our, just our ministry team and saints, would you just quietly pray right now? I pray for every person in this room, young and old, young and old, if you want to surrender your life to Jesus, now is the time. If you want to recommit your life to him, if you want to be an instrument of revival, I want you to, right now, wherever you're at, I want you to just raise one hand up in the air and say, Pastor, that's me. Pray, pray for me right now. Lift up a hand in the air. Say, I'm re- I want to recommit my life. There's a hand. There's a hand. Come on, raise it up. Raise it up high, high. That's me. Lord, I want what you have for me in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for every hand that was raised. Lord, I thank you for the sweet surrender of ceasing. We just receive the gift of freedom right now. Just declare freedom. Hi, Pastor Zach here at Encounter Church in Rochester, New York. Hope you were blessed by that message. And we want to give you an opportunity to sow into the ministry if you'd like to. If you would, just go to revival.me and click on the button that says give. Thanks again and have a blessed, blessed day.